This is uh, called Planning, Record Keeping, and Lean Systems for Efficiency. Now, I just want to give a disclaimer at the beginning here that we are not the best at record keeping. And, you know, the whole business side, as we've said, I think a number of times, that's not our forte. You know, we, we try to focus on service and um, let the Lord provide us what we need. You know, it's interesting because every year we set goals for CSA, you know, how many members we want and all that. And every year the Lord gives us what we need. It's usually not quite what we, what we set our goals at. But, you know, somewhere in the season, it's like, boy, I'm glad we don't have any more CSA members. Because I'll tell you what, um, August is rough, <laughs> at least where we are. You know, it's like people are getting a little bit tired of squash and, and um, so on. So to try to keep the boxes full and variety in August is, is a challenge. Um, so anyway, we, you know, come August time, the, the boxes in the spring and the fall are just overflowing. Then, of course, some of it's because, you know, in the summer you've got tomatoes, which are high value, but they don't take a lot of space. Whereas in the spring and fall, you have more greens, which make the box look very full. Anyway, um, so again, the disclaimer is we're not super good record keepers. We continue to strive and we're trying to improve. So I'm going to be sharing some from our own experience, but largely um, from like JM and others who are much better at the business side of things than we are. So you, you need to start with an income plan. You want to be realistic about this. For those of you who are just starting out, um, you know, is, are you realistically trying to make a living off the farm? Now, of course, making a living is a very relative term. You know, some people think they need $100,000 a year to make a living. You know, we wouldn't know what to do with $100,000 a year. Um, we have learned, and the Lord taught us a lot in those early hard years, we have learned to live on much less than we thought we could live on. Um, and, and so to me, that's part of the package here. You know, learn to live with less. Um, learn how to can and preserve. And, you know, do you know about Goodwill? Great place to shop. Um, you know, we get good clothes at Goodwill. Um, so these, this is all part of the package in our mind, you know, and, and we, well, I was going to say we only have one vehicle that changed very recently. In fact, I'm just going to throw this out there because to me it fits in with the CSA. Last week, one of our CSA members gave us a Honda CRV for a dollar you know, talk about relationships. Um, he came to CSA delivery, the one Pam was at, and said, see that car over there? You can have it for a dollar. Um, you know, it's it's a 2002, but it's great condition, and um, 
you know, he was going to give it to the Kidney Foundation, and the Lord put us on his heart. That's amazing. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, when it comes to supporting yourself, you know, what, what do you need to live? Obviously, you know, if you have mortgage and, and on and on, um, it's going to take more. But of course, hopefully part of the package is getting out of debt. And, um, and again, this is the whole reason why I'm so excited about the market gardening model, because it doesn't take lots and lots of money to get into it. Um, you don't need a lot of land. You don't need all these things. So I, I mentioned this earlier, but it, it's, it's amazing how it seems to work across the board pretty much that um, net income is almost always between 40 and 50% of gross. Um, some farms that, you know, like the lean farm, Ben Hartman, he's I think more like 60%. So, you know, once you really get established and you've got your infrastructure built and all of that, your, your net income can go up some, but in the early years, you're reinvesting a lot in the farm. You'll be doing well to, to take home 40 to 50% of gross. So again, how much can you live on? So we're just gonna play around with this a little bit and help you to see, you know, just basic you know, how does this work? So let's say you, you've learned to scrimp and you don't have a lot of debt, so you can live on a couple thousand dollars a month. Is that, I see another farmer back there saying, yeah, I can do that. Um, you know, I, I realize that by American standards, that's pretty low, um, but we can live on that. Uh, of course, our children are to the age where they're kind of providing their own income and stuff, so we're not, we don't have a lot of children we're supporting. Um, but just, just to play with the numbers, let's start there. So that means you're going to need to bring in at least 50000 Does that make sense? That's your gross. So how are you going to do that? You know, so if you've got a good market, you can sell lettuce for $3 a head. Um, you know, that's a lot of heads of lettuce, $50,000. So you, you have to start trying to break this down and say, okay, where, where's this money going to come from? Um, so you start with, start with records from somebody who's doing it. Another plug for this book you know, he's got some great charts in there. In fact, um, I think we've got one right here. So obviously, you know, don't think that, you know, we threw around a lot of numbers this morning. Don't think that you're going to make that kind of money right out of the blocks. Although I say that, but it's amazing. There's another young farmer up in upper Michigan, Brian Bateman, I think his name is, um, Second year, $180,000. And he's basically doing it single-handedly. His wife has a full-time job off the farm. So it's incredible what is being done. These young guys, young, young people coming in 
who are really business savvy, who are tech savvy, um, they're just kind of blowing things out of the water. But most people, that's, you know, I mean, that's really amazing. Uh, acre and a half again. Um, so, again, I had mentioned this before. It's always better to start small and, and make small mistakes. Um, but I, I don't think you're going to be able to see this. This is a, a chart straight out of the Market Gardener. It's, it's a chart I've spent hours studying. It, it's got an incredible amount of information on it. Um, you know, first column is vegetables. Second column, total sales. Some of you may be able to read it better than I. Um, third column is the price per unit, you know, price per pound. So you look up there, his, um, his top seller, $35,000 off of greenhouse tomatoes. Um, you know, that's a lot of money off of one greenhouse of tomatoes. And, but his price is two fifty a pound. You know, that's, in our markets, that's, that's pretty low. Um, you know, so that's not like he's, he's not making the kind of money he's making because he's getting really high prices. He's, he's in um, Quebec, just above the border of um, Vermont in, in a small town. So anyway, and then he has number of beds per season, garden space, okay, um, revenue per bed, that's an interesting one, number of days in the garden, again, if you remember that CVR we were talking about, that's important, um, rank as far as um, sales and then rank income per bed and profitability. So there's a tremendous amount of information on that chart that can, you know, it's kind of a starting point. Okay, well if he's, and, and again, his prices are not really high, so if he can make this much per bed of this crop, you know, if we grew this many beds of this crop and this many beds of this crop, you see how you can start figuring it out um, so, so the charts in, in JM's book, I think, are worth the, the cost of the book. Um, okay, so we're going to run a couple options here. So let's say you want to do a CSA. Now, we, we just told you that that's really not the best place to start, but some people do start there. You know, the one thing she didn't talk about is the, the con of a CSA is the sleepless nights when you're starting out with it and you're, you know, you're supposed to be delivering boxes the next day and it's like, man, I don't think we have enough stuff to fill those boxes up. And that, that's kind of a panicky feeling. But, you know, all I can say is you plant more than you think you're gonna need and the Lord blesses and usually the boxes look amazing, you know, so you just have to um, over plant. Um, but anyway, CSAs can be a little stressful, especially when you're starting out. 
So 26 weeks is a pretty standard CSA length. Um, we're actually cutting back this year to um, 22 weeks for our summer CSA. We start the beginning of April and we'll go through to Labor Day. So five months. Um, $30 a box, again, you know, how big a box, there, there are some variables there as far as your market, what they want. I'll tell you this, with CSA, the statistics are that more people leave CSAs because of too much product rather than not enough. Um, it's, I th there's a term, I forget the term, something about guilt, you know. Um, they don't, they feel bad throwing stuff away, but most people don't know how to cook from scratch. So of course that's part of the CSA is training them, teaching them, giving them recipes and stuff. But they, they eat out a lot and then, you know, the stuff rots in their refrigerator and they feel bad and they quit because they don't like to see it go bad. So there's, there's a fine line between giving them enough and giving them too much, and I'm getting a little off here, but these are all things that I think is important to talk about with CSA. Um, what we have done that has worked really well for our summer CSA, you know, we, we try to have high standards for the CSA, so we have a lot of seconds on tomatoes and so on. We just take all the seconds to market, well, to CSA delivery, and say these are extras. That way we don't feel bad about giving them seconds, you know, and, and they don't feel bad because, oh, wow, you know, well, it's got a little, you know, a little bird peck or something, but I can just cut that out. And so those who would like more can take it. You know, okra, I mean, at the beginning of the season, we never have enough. And then those of you who grow okra, you know, you know, when it really comes on, there's tons of okra. And so basically for the last half of the summer, they can have all the okra they want. And, you know, most of them love it and they, they take a lot of okra. So that's one way we kind of, and you know, if they don't want any extra, obviously they're not feeling bad because they still get the regular box. So anyway, that's, that's a trick that's worked well for us. I saw a hand back here. No, the question is, do we charge them for that? No, you know, the, the original philosophy of CSAs uh, was that the, the customers were sharing the risk of farming. And so if you had, you know, a tornado come through or a hailstorm and decimate your crops, they knew, you know, well, yeah, we're, we're sharing the loss, you know. We realize the boxes are going to be really thin for a while because we're, we're, that's part of the agreement. But the other side to it is that you also should share in the bounty. Now, most CSAs don't necessarily do that. You know, the CSA model has kind of um, evolved and gone a lot of different directions. But the original idea was we're all in this together. 
we're your farmer, we're growing for you. Um, if we have a great crop, you're gonna benefit, you're gonna share the bounty. If, if we have a, you know, the deer get in or whatever, then you share the loss. So no, we don't charge for the extras. Um, now, I mean, I say that, but you know, we will have stuff online, but of course that's gonna be first. You know, for the most part, the extras are seconds, which what are we gonna do with, you know? Well, we process a lot for ourselves, but. Um, okay, so that was a little bit of a side note, but so remember, <coughs> excuse me, remember we're shooting, we're trying to earn $50,000 to get our net 24,000, so if, if you've got a 26-week CSA, $30 a box, then you need 65 shares to get your 50,000. Um, that makes sense, that simple math there. So, you know, 65 shares for somebody just starting out, that's kind of a bit of a chunk to bite off. Our first year with our winter CSA, we had 12 members and then we doubled to 24 and then 36 and it kind of went up from there. But um, I wouldn't recommend anyone start off with 65 shares unless they've had some previous experience. That, that's a bit of a leap. Farmer's market option, here's Nick, my techno buddy. Um, he's even... <coughs> circled our stand there. Again, that's when we had to set up in the parking lot. But, uh, so, again, most farmers markets usually have a 26-week, a, uh, a six-month season. It's gonna depend on what part of the country you're from. But ours start the beginning of May and go through the end of October. So, um, if, if you divide 50,000 by 26 weeks, you're, you're going to need to make around 2,000 a week. Um, that's pretty good. Um, you know, there are a lot of farms that make a lot more than that at farmer's market. I can tell you our um, average sales, and actually I don't know from this year, so I'm kind of guessing, but I would say our average sales are around 1500 per week at our farmer's market. Um, in the early spring, we, we haven't quite reached, the last two years, we've tried to reach the 3000 mark on a, on a, and I think we've got 2800 or something is about the most we've ever made at market. Um, and, but we have a good market, you know, I mean, again, it's all relative. For some people, that's not a lot to earn at a market, but we're, we're doing, to earn 2,000 a week, and of course, this is just one market, but, you know, there's nothing to say you can, you can do two markets. If that's your main, you know, your main income source, so you do two markets at $1,000 a market, that's a little more doable. Um, <clears throat> but probably more realistically, you're gonna wanna combine some things. And so um, if, you, if you did like 
40 CSA shares and um, $800 a week at farmer's market, then you've made your 50,000. So again, you know, if you're just starting out, that this may start feeling like, wow, that sounds like work. <laughs> um, and it is, but you know, you wanna be realistic enough to kind of crunch the numbers and say, okay, if we're gonna go for it, how's this gonna work? Okay, so once you say, okay, well, we're gonna shoot for this many CSA members, this much at the market, those are kind of your target goals, then you gotta come up with a plan. You know, what crops do you wanna grow? Obviously, for a CSA, you're gonna need the variety, because that's what keeps your customers happy, is the variety. You know, you hear horror stories about CSAs where you know, all they got was kale for two months. You know, that's not gonna make for happy CSA customers. So you, you have to grow crops. You know, celery is kind of a classic for us. We grow celery, I, I just enjoy the challenge. Celery is a challenge to grow, um, at least in our part of the country. And it takes forever. It, it, I mean, as far as profitability, it's way down there. But, you know, farmers need to stay challenged too. So we grow celery, you know, but I would never grow it if I was just focused on high dollar crops. Um, so what are you gonna grow? And, and again, the, the, the advantage of a market is you can narrow that down and just grow maybe 10 or 12 of the highest value crops. Um, how much of each crop do you want to grow? So you kind of have to, and, and again, this can get complicated quickly because you've got to be thinking about crop rotations and stuff, and we're not even talking about that, but hopefully you understand some basics of crop rotation. There's different families that ideally you want to move around the garden. <coughs> because certain families of crops like the Chenopodiaceae, um, your spinach and beets, those tend to be um, detrimental to the crops that follow. They take a lot out of the soil. And then you have other families like the, the lettuce family. One of the great things about lettuce is it's not, it, it's not detrimental. In fact, it really is... Um, it's good for the soil, lettuce. And then of course your classics would be the legumes which are actually adding nitrogen to the soil. So anyway, you know, you kind of have to, um, you can't just because tomatoes are highly profitable, you can't just plant all tomatoes because you need to be able to, to move things around but this is what your garden plan is all about. You're, you're, you're laying that out on paper and saying, okay, we're gonna grow this many beds of tomatoes and this many beds of lettuce and so on. <coughs> and then you have to, to do some, some working back. Um, okay, so we want now, you know, our, our kind of, um, I don't know, it's not the right term, but holy grail 
is to try to grow lettuce all summer long. In our climate, it's, I mean, we've had sort of success, but to grow lettuce in July and August is, is a challenge. Um, but, you know, if, if you're trying to have um, lettuce in July, you know, you've got to count back and figure out, okay, when does that need to be seeded? And so this is all part of your, your garden plan. And, and a I think I have a picture here. Yeah, again, this is from JM's book, but just a simple, um, some simple examples. H is for harvest, so you're wanting to harvest spinach. Now, we would never be harvesting spinach in June, this because the spinach goes to pot long before that. Um, but this is JM in Canada. Um, so he's wanting to harvest it in June, so he needs to um, seed it. Now, he's transplanting, so he, he also transplants spinach. Seed it on April 22, and then transplanted out on May 9, and he's doing two beds of tai. Um, radishes, again, so you, you, you start with when you need it and work back from there. When do I need to transplant it? When do I need to seed it? So, you know, your, your head starts spinning after a while because there's just a lot of, you know, the, the the um, stereotypical dumb farmer, um, you know, the, the father keeps the, the son at home who can't make it, you know, in college and sends the bright ones off to college. But this kind of farming we're talking about, you got to use your head, you know, and, and there's a lot to it. Um, and Mrs. White talks about we need a different, um, how does she say it, a different kind of farmer, different breed of farmer, something along those lines. You know, we can't just be dumb farmers. We have to be smart farmers, and we have to really know what we're doing here. So you see how that works? Um, again, it's not rocket science, but it's, it's a lot of mental arithmetic, mental gymnastics. Then the next step is laying out your garden. And again, in the back of JM's book, he's got pages of, you know, sample garden layouts. He, he has 16 beds per plot, and he has... Um, 10 plots that he rotates crops through. <clears throat> so each, each plot has, you know, so those are the 16 beds there. So he's going to have um, three beds of broccoli transplanted March 15, and then bok choy. This is a, a brassicaceae um, plot and some cucurbitaceae. So I, I don't want to go too fast, but I also don't want to belabor it. You, you understand what's going on here. He's, he's laying out his garden. Okay, this year we're going to grow this here, this, these beds here, and, and just laying it out on paper. The, the, the goal here 
is that when you get into the season, you don't have time to think, you know. You're just flat out trying to stay with your head above water. So you, you um, plan it out in the wintertime, you know, around the, the wood stove. And then when spring comes and things really heat up, um, both literally and figuratively, you're just following the plan. That's the ideal. So you don't have to be thinking about it. And, and you know, the, the problem is if you don't have a plan like this, what happens, you know, the spring rush comes on and you're not thinking about, you know, I, I need to keep seeding here. And so by midsummer, all of a sudden, it's like, uh-oh, I don't have enough stuff. And, you know, it doesn't grow overnight. I mean, the fastest thing on the farm is radishes, and those are at least three weeks. So you've got to be planning way ahead. Does that make sense? You know, most tomatoes in the southeast aren't going to go all summer long. Um, so you do a, a mid-season planting. So when your first crops are on their way out, the new crop is on the way in. Just a little tip on that, we've gone to, we just take suckers and, and plant suckers in a pot and put it in the shade for a week or two and you've got ready-made new tomato plants. Really simple, that way you don't have to go through all the seeding and, and of course it's cheaper because some of the seed, the greenhouse tomatoes can be a dollar a seed which sounds really expensive until you think about what you can earn on it and then it doesn't sound so bad after all. But anyway, it's, it's, it's uh, just a little tip that we've been doing for the last few years for our later plantings of tomatoes, just taking those suckers off. So where are they going in the garden? How long are they gonna stay there? You know, some crops are in and out quick and others are in for a while. So you've got to be mapping this. You don't want empty beds. As, as we were talking about with Connor Crickmore, he's got it down to such a science that his beds aren't empty overnight. You know, as soon as one empties out, he's got something to put back in it. And that's the, you know, that's, that's what you're shooting for but that takes a tremendous amount of, of uh, planning. Question is, do people prefer the heirloom over the hybrid? That's kind of a hard question to answer um, because there's actually quite a few in either camp. Some, there's a lot of people who just want a 10 ounce red tomato. You know, 10 ounce is about so big you know, they don't want them big because it's like, what do I do with this? And, and plus when it, you know, one tomato costs $4, it's, it's like, wow, that's a lot of money. Um, so I would say the majority are just looking for a good red hybrid slicer. But having said that, in July, there's, you know, about 
three tons of red hybrid slicers at the market, you know. So heirlooms can kind of, set, it's, it's a niche that you can um, try to capitalize on, but heirloom tomatoes are not as predictable and, you know, so we do both. You know, we, we do heirlooms and hybrids, you know, and, and we're not even going down that road. Hopefully all of you understand hybrids are not, hybrids and GMOs are two different things. Hybrids, we're all hybrids, right? Cross between our mom and dad. So there's nothing evil about hybrids, but there is the downside that you can't save the seed and when you can't buy or sell, what are you gonna do? So um, Byron Smith, who was at the conference last year, said that most of the hybrid greenhouse tomatoes have been stabilized enough that you can save seed from them. He does that regularly, which is, um, I guess probably, I, I don't know how legal that is, but, um, um, certainly saves a lot of money. So just because it's a hybrid doesn't mean you can't save the seed from it. Some hybrids are much more stable than others. Anyway, we're getting off topic here. How does it fit into your crop rotation? Now, um, ways to collect your data. You know, there's a lot of record keeping that needs to go on and um, Certainly, I would say the majority of farmers I read about are just using spreadsheets to collect their data. You know, this was the yield, this was, um, you know, how much we planted and, you know, all this kind of information. <coughs> then you have a fair number that are just using paper. Um, field notebooks, clipboards, whatever, but most of those who are doing it that way at some point are putting it on the computer because it's easier to kind of crunch numbers and figure things out on the computer. Um, this, was, this is another option, agsquared.com. I think that they still have an offer on there where you can sign up for free and experiment with it on, I think there's a certain number of crops you can put in. Um, so I would encourage you to, to fool around with it, but it's, it's, a, um, it's a program um, that is designed, it's internet based, so you know, it's keeping your records online. Of course, you can print out hard copies of things, but it is um, something that multiple users can use. And actually, just last year, they came out with a app, Ag Squared app. So for harvest and, and um, tasks, you know, you can assign your workers' tasks. You can keep track of all your harvests on your app and it updates your, you know, your computer. Um, so, you know, at the end of the year, you're gonna have all your harvest 
your yield data and all of that. It's quite powerful. And um, I, I faithfully work it in, in the um, spring of every year and somehow about midsummer, um, it's like, uh, you know, I'm just trying to survive here. So, um, I, I, so I have used it quite a bit and you know, it's, it's, again, it can be incredibly powerful tool because every day I can go in and look, okay, this is what I need to be planting today. This is the seeding I need to do. And um, so play around with it. Again, I think you can, you can experiment with it for free, um, but it, it, it has a lot of potential. Um, and, you know, this is coming from somebody who's not techie at all, but to me it just makes, it's much more efficient than putting it on paper or, you know, you don't have your computer out in the field using your spreadsheet, so how are you going to collect the information to then put on your spreadsheets? But then again, the, the other powerful thing that Nick and Kirsten talked about is this ag squared, you know, <clears throat> there is so so much oh I'm not yeah sorry not ag squared square square is the the cash register app but it's got so much more you know we can go in there and um, tell you exactly how many dollars we made on cherry tomatoes last year and it can graph it by by week you know by market I mean it, it can do amazing things so it can show us all our total sales on all the individual vegetables. And so it's incredible information that is collected there that really helps you making decisions. You know, okay, so we can go back to last year's records. It's all online um, and we know exactly how many bunches of carrots we sold on May 25. So we know that last year we sold this many bunches and what it doesn't necessarily tell you, well, no, it does tell you this. It'll tell you the time of day so we can see, okay, we ran out of carrots at 4.30. So we need, you know, we can kind of estimate we need this many more bunches of carrots at this time of year to meet demand. So it's, it's incredibly powerful um, for record keeping. And again, that's totally free, amazing. You know, it's amazing how um, you think you're gonna remember stuff. <laughs> oh, I, there's no way I'll forget this, you know. But come next season, it was like, okay, now what did we do? Um, so it, it's really important to keep track of planting dates and, you know, the, the, the better you are at this, the faster you'll fine tune your systems and, you know, you don't want to be over planting. Um, and so, you know, okay, last year we came home with lettuce on this market, you know, we took this many heads and we came home with it. Well, that's you know, that's wasted time in harvesting and washing and everything. So 
you can really start fine-tuning it to the time of year and to the crops and the quantities and um, try to really dial in because ideally you want to come home from market with nothing, you know, with an empty delivery vehicle. That's usually pretty unrealistic, but um, as, as Pam said in the spring, in the early spring, because we have so much more than others who don't have as many hoop houses and stuff, it's pretty common for us to come home with an empty van, which is really nice. Um, so the, again, the more you can dial in on this, again, I mentioned this morning that, that JM does all his measurements on 100-foot beds, yield per 100-foot bed, um, you know, plants per 100-foot bed, it's a really nice way to standardize your measurement. You know, I know I need um, 300 kale plants to go in a 100-foot bed. Um, so you want to have, to try to standardize your record keeping as much as possible. And um, for most market gardeners, it's better to do something like that than even per thousand square feet because you may not be growing even a thousand square feet of, of whatever at one time. You know, a hundred foot bed is 250 square feet. So you'd have to have four beds of something in order to make a thousand square feet. Varieties, notes concerning variables to performance, etc. You know, again, the more detailed you can be with your record keeping, the quicker you can fine tune things and dial it in. Now, a little bit about um, metrics for tracking profitability. There are whole books on this, so you know I'm not going to try to say much. But you you need to have some kind of quick ways that you can kind of say, okay, this crop is really earning me money. Um, and one, and this is one that Ben Hartman does, is figures out they have a standard harvesting container. And they figured out, you know, how many pounds of peppers are on average fit in their harvesting container. And they know that they can make this much per harvest container of peppers. And so they, they do all their crops based on, you know, how many bunches of radishes are gonna fit in a harvest container. And so that helps them to make decisions on what crops to grow. And one thing he's also looking at is weight. You know, peppers are light, um, potatoes are heavy, you know, which is gonna be easier on the farmer, you know, having a, a, a bin of peppers at this much. And, and again, his book has a lot of this information in it and we don't have time to, <coughs> to go into that, but that's one, that's one way to do it. Another way is looking at yield per square foot. You know, a classic example of this is lettuce. You know, a, a nice head of lettuce 
takes about a square foot. So um, if, you know, if big, big nice heads, we can sell for $3 a head. So just one crop of lettuce is earning us $3 a square foot. And, um, you know, lettuce is only in the garden because, you know, half its life is as a transplant, you know, in the greenhouse. And then the other half of its life is in the garden. So it may only be in the garden for just, just over a month. And um, $3 a square foot in a month, you know, that's, that's good money. So that's another way to, to start figuring your profitability is, and I say here $20,000 an acre minimum, you know, we're talking this morning about $100,000 an acre or more. Um, so this is really minimum. You know, we, we, we talked about the example of corn. I know from, from um, looking at the average yields that corn yields on average 1,200 dozen ears per acre, 1,200 dozen. So how much can you get per dozen ears of corn? What's that? Five dollars. So, um, so that's six thousand dollars an acre. That doesn't meet our meet our minimum here. So let's say we, you know, I told you we can get a dollar an ear for early corn, and, and that's another thing we've gone to transplanting all our corn. It's great. We use a, a three-inch soil block, put four seeds per block and do it 30 inches apart in the row, um, two rows, yeah, two rows per bed, staggered, and, you know, we get a solid, solid crop. You know, the crows aren't picking out seeds. Um, it's great, um, you know, direct seeding, especially in the early spring, um, corn can be very spotty. But so by transplanting it, we can have a solid patch. It's really... How do you keep the worms out? Um, we don't. <laughs> but, but planting it earlier you know, your, your later crops are where you really start having worm problems. So we focus, you know, we plant our corn the 1st of April in soil blocks and then put it out 10 days, two weeks later. So a dollar an ear, so that's $12,000 an acre, right? It's still not a lot of money. And then we talked a little bit about this. Another way is, you know, because a lot of your time, especially once you get into the season, much of your time is in that harvest, washing, packing, you know. Um, and, well, uh, there's so much more we could say, but um, 
I've always heard, you know, heard the number $30 an hour if you're not making at least $30 an hour in the harvesting, then it's not a crop worth fooling with. Again, with the CSA, that changes things a little bit. You know, another classic example of a, a low-yielding crop is broccoli. Farmers joke about broccoli because it takes up so much space and you get one head plus maybe a few side shoots and broccoli doesn't bring a lot of money. You know, broccoli is so cheap in the store. So you run the numbers on it and um, you won't grow a lot of broccoli probably because it's just not a money maker. So, so yeah, you know, th that brings up the point that your markets, different parts of the country, you know, are going to like different things and they're going to support higher prices. So, you know, there's not one um, formula that's going to work for everybody. So you need to kind of test your markets. Ideally, go to farmers markets, see what people are selling, see the prices they're getting. Um, if you can make money on broccoli, great. You know, we grow broccoli because we know the CSA wants it. <coughs> we do not do much at all with cauliflower because cauliflower is even worse than broccoli. It's harder to get nice heads. We've done well in the fall, actually, with cauliflower, but spring, forget it. Um, and cauliflower doesn't have any side shoots, so it's really, um, yeah, don't grow cauliflower. So Connor Crickmore has, has really upped it by saying he doesn't grow anything that he can't make $100 an hour harvesting. So as I told you this morning, he doesn't even grow, he doesn't even pick his raspberries anymore because they won't make him $100 an hour. Um, Okay, we're about out of time. This book I highly recommend, well, all these books I recommend, and, and I did print out the resource sheets I'll give you um, next meeting, but this book, are you, how many of you are familiar with lean manufacturing? There's actually a lot online about lean manufacturing my son Jonathan was doing a lot of research on that. I'm trying to remember the company had a lot online out in um, Washington State. It was, uh, anyway, um, it, it was popularized by Toyota as a way to, to be, become much more efficient in the processes of producing something. And so what Ben Hartman has done is taken those lean principles and applied them to the farm. And it's really fascinating. And this book has taken the small farm world by storm. He's actually writing a sequel to it that gives more specific examples from his farm, because that was kind of a complaint I had here. You know, he, he lays out these principles but you know, I'm the kind that I just want to know, okay, tell me this is the spacing you planted at and this is how much you grow and you know. So his next book is gonna be more like that. But this is about 
this is not going to tell you how to grow stuff, but this is going to tell you how to do it efficiently. And so we don't have time to look at all these, but this is just one of the things that Lean does. They do these five S's. Sort, get rid of stuff on your farm. You know, all the the tools you bought that you thought were going to change your farm and they didn't, don't just leave them out back. Get rid of them. Um, set in order. You know, know th where things are. Shine. Standardize. That's a big one we've been working on. And sustain, which is another way to say little attentions often repeated. I'll just say this about our farm. As of probably three years ago, we stopped doing farm work on Friday. Friday is dedicated to Sabbath preparation. And our farm has never looked better. So now for us in the summertime, I can tell you it takes pretty much all day on Friday to mow and weed eat. You know, that's part of our Sabbath preparation. Um, it's a lot of work, but you know, we're, we're doing things like mowing and weed eating, um, washing bins, getting them put away, you know, all these things that if you don't set aside time for, they just pile up. And so it's made a huge difference in our farm. So we're basically working on the, working on the farm five days a week, Sunday to Thursday. Friday is Sabbath preparation, so that, of course, is in the home, but then on the farm as well, getting everything cleaned up and ready. And, you know, the Lord has blessed. And, and again, our farm is a much better place because of it. So, um, these were a few other things he talked about. There's a lot more in the book, but... Um, I don't know, if, I, I can't remember what book he quotes that talks about the 10,000 hour mastery. Are any of you familiar with that book? Um, it's, you know, it's like a business principle book, but the idea that it takes about 10,000 hours to master something. You know, one thing I like to point out on a farm, you know, we've been doing this 18 years and people think, wow, that's a long time, but that means we've had 18 springs. You know, how, many, how many times does it take to master a piece on the piano? I think probably a lot more than 18 times, right? So we've had 18 springs and 18 summers and 18 falls. Um, it takes a lot of time to gain mastery on a farm. In fact, um, I, I don't know if anybody's ever gained mastery. Elliot Coleman, I like to quote him. He, when he was young, he was into adventure sports. Um, and he said when he found gardening, organic gardening, he found the ultimate adventure sport because it is the mountain you never summit. And you can imagine how t tantalizing that is to somebody who's into conquering. Every year, 
on the farm, you say, this is the year, we're going to summit. And every year, you have a whole new set of challenges, and you never quite reach the top. And that keeps you going. You know, it's like, oh man, next year, we're going to do this differently. We're going to do this. And um, it's, it's the ultimate adventure sport. You never quite master it. So we don't have time to talk more about that. I think that was the end. But again, you know, you can get the book or talk to me afterwards. Uh, so I hope that was helpful. Again, we're scratching the surface here, but hopefully it helps you to wrap your mind a little bit around the process of planning and record keeping. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.